I'm going to hand over to Dave now, who's our senior pastor here, and he's going to be preaching to us um, on the topic of temptation, which I think Dave probably knows quite a lot about. Just being cheeky. He's an expert. I was going to say, actually, Rachel, it was one of the subjects I'm a bit ignorant and I had to do some research on, but I came to you and, um, anyway. Just, just before I, I start my sermon, actually, I just want to say one or two things about Simon Lesseter, who died this week. And um, actually, Marcus here on the front row is actually Simon's brother-in-law. So, um, uh, and many of you will have recognized Simon if you didn't know him personally. He's kind of stocky chap outside, often having a fag before the service. Or, uh, and very regular at Woody's morning and evening, actually. But I've, I've known Simon since he was about 19 years old and I came through the care system. I was actually taken into care as a, as a three-year-old, um, having had a really tough time. And um, actually, Charlie Tull, who um, worships here, um, I, I'd asked Simon, uh, I'd asked Charlie, actually, would you like to do some mentoring with Simon? And just earlier on this year, and, and um, Charlie said, you know what, when... when when I was young, my family had a children's home. Well, we had this little boy called Simon Lesseter. Came to us as a three-year-old. I remember him well. He was really, had had a really hard time. Could it be the same person? And I actually connected them up, and it was the same person. And they were able to process some of that early part of, of Simon's life. And, and I guess Simon had one of the more checkered lives that I've ever come across. You know, everything, the good and the bad. And um, Simon, honestly, I've probably supported him, uh, seen him work, as, he's been part of YWAM, and he's um, worked overseas, he's been on mission trips with me, I've also had him arrested, you know, the full, the full range with Simon. But um, one thing about Simon was that he really did know that um, God was able to forgive and was his father in heaven, and kept coming back to God all the way through his life with all the ups and downs, and Simon had had, had liver cancer, and um, there's been uh, just recurrence having had surgery this last year, and I, I wasn't really very optimistic about the next couple of years. And actually, Simon died very suddenly with a, uh, an aneurysm, a, ble a, ble a bleed to the brain. And to my mind, there's a bit of mercy around that, that he didn't have to in endure a prolonged disease. But um, do be praying for those people most affected by that, and um, be meeting with Simon's children and his ex-wife, Becky, on Tuesday as we think a little bit about um, funeral stuff. We'll let you know what's going on. I'll just say a little prayer now, actually, for everybody who's affected by Simon's loss. Father God, we know that Simon's been a very significant, quite a big character, really well known in our city, and, um, and has been through an awful lot of things, but was also very quick to share his faith with people and to come alongside people who were hurting. And we want to pray, Lord, that he would be very much received into your everlasting arms, into, the, the, into your house, the place prepared for him, that he would know a security and a love that perhaps was a little bit uh, erratic at times on earth, but in heaven, Lord, may he know the fulfillment of the longings of his soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're talking today about that phrase in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. Mysterious phrase, because we don't kind of think that God is someone who's going to lead us into temptation, do we? So why are we praying that? We'll come with that in just a minute. But just to say that the Lord's Prayer gives us things that Jesus felt it was really important that his followers prayed about and that their lives were affected by. So the Lord's Prayer isn't just a model for us to use as a one-off prayer. It has lots of clauses which we should think about. What does this mean? 
in terms of Jesus' teaching of the kingdom of God and our relationship with our Father, who is our Abba, who is in heaven, and whose kingdom is even now coming on earth. And as we look for that kingdom to come, we're aware that one of the things that affects the nature of the kingdom is sin. And I want to make a little differentiation right now between sin and evil. Next Sunday, we're talking about deliverance from evil. And I think that there's a, there's a sense in which evil ratchets up everything. I would say, I am a sinner. And look at you. <laughs> I think some of you are too. Put your hands up if you think you are one. Good. How many people, put your hands up if you're evil. I saw that hand. <laughs> I think there's a difference, isn't there, between a, a sinner and an evil person? There's a difference between battling with sin and confronting evil. So we're going to be talking a bit about evil next week. But let's talk about sin to start with. The Lord's Prayer looks at sin in the past and in the present and in the future. It looks at sin in the past because we say, forgive us our sins. And most of us, our sins are in the past. It may have only been five minutes ago. It may have been for Rachel just a few seconds ago when she made a disparaging remark about me. <laughs> but that's in the past, and she has probably already asked God to forgive her for it. But in the present, now, I'm going to deal with that present hurt that rankles a little bit. I forgive you, Rachel, in the present for that callous word. But there's a future dimension to sin. The fact that we've said sorry for things in the past, we've forgiven people in the present, doesn't mean to say that it's all right now and Rachel or I will never sin again in the future. The chances are we will. Why are we prone to sin? Well, there are three kind of contexts, if you like, that the New Testament or the Bible has for the human race. It talks about, first of all, the world. And in the New Testament, when, when the Bible talks about the world, it doesn't mean creation per se. It kind of means the kind of the systems of this world which have a brokenness about them. And um, when we talk about someone being worldly in common speech, what we tend to mean about them is that they're quite enticed by the superficial glamour that the world offers to them, rather than they're a kind of nature lover who's out there, you know, with David Attenborough kind of keeping an eye on nature. We don't think like that. We think they're worldly. It's probably not creation as much, but the material glamour of the world that perhaps entices them, you know? So um, if you're going for a Lamborghini, that might be a slightly worldly desire. And then there's the flesh. Again, the, the Greek word that the, the New Testament often uses for the flesh, sarks, it doesn't actually just mean a corporeal body, but it means that kind of bit of us which is kind of the me first bit of what it means to be a creature. The, um, the flesh means I want me to be the most important person in the world. I want my desires and needs to be satisfied above any other object in the world. And, and, and my flesh has come quite strong desires and appetites. And, um, you know, our 8 o'clock service, Matt Dobson, painfully confessed his worldly and fleshly addiction to trifle. He had a trifle with him on display, and he managed to restrain himself from eating it for the whole service. 
But I say, well done, Mark, for that one. But it's that kind of, you know, that, that, that pull of the flesh. Do we, all, do we all know what that means? That pull of the flesh. And then there's the devil. It's interesting, you know, for Jesus, when he came into the world, he was coming into enemy-occupied territory. He once referred to Satan as the prince of this world. And when Jesus experienced the temptation, there was definitely the, the, in the wilderness, you know the story perhaps where Jesus was fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, beginning a kingdom journey, if you like, and the world, the flesh, and the devil were there. The, the, turn these stones to bread. All these kingdoms I'll give to you if you'll worship me. Throw yourself down from the tower. It's this kind of prestige stuff, this power stuff, this, this full of, full of the, the, the body. And, and, and Jesus describes the prince of this world, the devil, as someone who is a tempter. So sin, our call to sin, and what I'm going to define as sin is where I'm going to do things which displease myself, hurt other people, hurt me, hurt my relationship with God, or I fail to do things that I'm called to do that will help my relationship with God or with other people or, or for my own sake. When I choose to do things that uh, are an antithesis of all that is in God's heart for me, I think that that's sin. And these things are real and we, we are prone to them. That's not to say that we are corrupt. We're more like kind of human beings. I once described human beings like we're a bit like Tintern Abbey. You've been to Tintern Abbey? It's a kind of glorious ruin, really. And maybe we're a little bit like that, glorious ruins. There's a glory about human beings. There's a capacity for great good and great sacrifice. But there's also a capacity for things which are quite dark and quite selfish. And, and we're dealing with that stuff, that, that sin. And in, in following Jesus, we become free from the penalty of sin. And we're, we're, we're still... To some degree as well, we're freed from the power of sin, but we still live with the presence of sin. And uh, while this world endures, the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to be making it challenges for us to fulfill our own moral code, probably, let alone God's. So there's a challenge for us, but there's a way out. In fact, um, we'll come on to that in a moment, but what does it mean for us to say to God, lead us not into temptation? Well, there's a Greek word for temptation, periasmos, and um, it's a both-and word. You, you, for those of you who know me and know what it is, you, you know I'm fond of the both-and. It's not one thing or the other, it's both-and. And that word means both temptation and trial or test. So sometimes it's, the connotation is used is temptation, which... Uh, other times it's used, the connotation isn't temptation at all. It's actually trial. It's a test. It's a, and, and can a trial also be a temptation? Can a temptation turn out to have been a trial? We know, as James writes in James chapter 1, verse 13, God cannot be tempted by evil, neither does he tempt anyone. So when we pray, leave me not in temptation, we're not praying that God will not tempt us, because God's not going to do that. Sometimes that part of the New Testament prayer is translated, lead me not into the time of trial or the time of testing. Can God lead us into time of trial and testing? Well, Matthew's Gospel records Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
Was God tempting Jesus? No. Was God exposing Jesus to a test where the test was going to be temptation? Yes. God can actually use the devil to get his will done. If that's a, is that a weird thought? I don't know. But I think it's a true thought. I think it's a Bible thought. From time to time, the devil finds himself unwittingly an agent that God can use. You know that famous text in Genesis where um, uh, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended for evil, but what God intended for good. Sometimes Satan overreaches himself. After all, the cross, what is the cross? Is that an act of the enemy? Yes, it is. Is it something that God uses to save the world? Yes, it does. So there we are. Temptation and trial can be the same thing. But when we pray, don't lead us into temptation, what are we praying? Well, first of all, we're saying, Lord God, in the future, help me not to sin. Help me not to repeat the things I've already asked for forgiveness for. You know, every now and then, I say sorry to God, and I give myself points for saying sorry. I think, what a good person I am. I've repented. Has anyone ever done that? We kind of give ourselves credit for saying sorry for the thing we did wrong, which is a bit crazy. But, you know, so I can think, oh, I've repented of that. I'm never going to do that again. Has anyone ever been there? The challenge is that um, we probably may do that again. Honestly, I think um, I don't want to have a hubris, arrogance about my capacity to resist temptation in the future. I want to be grateful for forgiveness and cleansing right now, but I want to be a bit vigilant about the future and say, in the future, God, I think I'm going to need grace. Help me. But I also want to have a lack of arrogance about my ability to overcome trials and tests. Now, trials and tests can come in different shapes and forms. A trial may just be the trials of life. Again, a great David Attenborough series, wasn't it? You know, life is trying at times. And trials can come in all kinds of ways, and they are not the same as temptations. Sickness is a trial. I had COVID last week, and um, I've got negatives, which is why I'm here. But um, it's a bit of a trial, frankly. Um, I don't think it was a temptation. I don't want to go through it again, particularly. I will pray, lead me not into a time of trial like that. But sometimes a trial is, is um, something like a persecution, which is a more active malignancy behind it. And sometimes a trial is, I think, where you're putting yourself out there for the sake of the kingdom of God, but there will be implicit with that some trial and testing. I think sometimes we may be saying, Lord God, help me not to be too visible because I, I'm not sure I'm quite ready for the test. You know, for the first years of this church's existence, we were below the radar. There are lots of large churches around the, the country and even in the city that were far more prominent than Woody's. And we were, I think, protected a little bit from some of the tests that come from visibility. Can you think, I mean, in the, in the Old Testament, there's a highly visible character called Job. Do you remember how visible he was? Really well known throughout the East, you know, as a wise, wealthy, respected figure. He was also quite well known in the, in the spiritual realm. God one day said, have you seen my servant Job? You know how faithful he is. And that kind of visibility in, brought Job under a bit of trial and testing. 
which maybe we don't want. Sometimes I look at leaders of large and prominent churches and see how um, they're facing trials and tests that we don't have in less visible and prominent roles. And maybe we're saying, Lord, lead me not into that time of trial. Don't, don't, may my kind of ministry not exceed the character growth in my life. A wise mentor of mine once said that, pray that the, the gift of the Spirit don't overtake the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Let's have a foundation where we're not being led to time of trial. Because honestly, I would say in my experience as a Christian, from time to time, I felt God's taken me somewhere as a leader, and there's been a test that's come my way that I've not passed. And you know what? God's given me another chance. Peter was someone who faced a trial, and Jesus prayed for him. He said, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. That's the test, isn't it? I don't know whether Peter prayed, lead me not at the time of testing, because that was a prayer that Jesus said, you ought to be praying this one, Peter. But there's a time of testing for Peter. And, and, and Jesus said, I pray for you, Peter, that you may not fail. Did Peter fail that test? Three times denying Jesus? He did. But Jesus also said, but when you've turned, strengthen your brothers. And, and Peter didn't just get one chance to affirm Jesus, he got lots of chances. And in the book of Acts, we see a different Peter from the Peter in the Gospels who denied Jesus. We see him affirming Jesus in the face of his trouble. That doesn't mean to say that Peter was never going to face that trial again. We also read in the letters that one time Peter backs off, as, as Paul challenges him in Galatians, from, for the fear of the Jews, kind of backing off from eating with the Gentiles. And Christian legend has that at the end of his life, Peter had the chance to run away from Rome, but chose to go back to be crucified and acknowledge his Lord. There was a trial and testing for Peter all the way through his life. If we fail a test, God in his mercy will give us second chances, which is good news. So what am I saying, really? I'm saying, first of all, there is temptation that comes. That is to do with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when we say lead us not into temptation, we're asking for grace for present and future temptation. And there may well be a season of temptation in your life. It may be that there are opportunities to do something wrong that keep recurring. It might be an affair. It might be a financial dodginess. It might be something that's around a relationship with people that's going on in your heart that's very negative and you're tempted to think cruel or bitter things about that person. And in that season of temptation, we want to ask for grace for God to lead us out of it. But this is something that's just practical wisdom. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, I might need my glasses for this particular moment, they'll stay on my nose. Um, that pocket, thank you very much. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. That's that message, isn't it, about you need grace. Don't be arrogant. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, I guess that's good news and bad news. The good news is 
there's a way out. The bad news is if we messed up, there was a way out. We didn't need to fall. But here's a bit of practical wisdom. The first temptation is the easiest one to say no to. If you said yes to temptation, it's harder to resist it second time in. And if you're not careful, if you keep saying yes to temptation, it forms a groove, which means it's harder and harder to say no to that thing. And you become less sensitized to it as an issue in your life. And it's very easy then for you to say yes, well, which at one time would have been harder for you to have said yes to that temptation. So let's practice saying no at the very beginning when temptation comes our way. You know, that was one thing about Jesus, who is our role model. Jesus shows us that a human being does not have to say yes to temptation because Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, but without sin. But Jesus also didn't give any inroads for the enemy. So at the end of his life, John says, Jesus, John recalls Jesus saying, the prince of this world has come, but he has no hold in me. Jesus has not made an entry point, a groove for temptation. Compare Jesus with Judas, who is described as a thief, someone who used to help himself from the money pot. And for Judas, when a time of temptation came that came to do with money, he wasn't practiced at resisting evil. And it says Satan filled his heart and he betrayed Jesus for money. Because a little temptation led to an inability to resist at a great point of pressure. Lead us not into temptation. Help us to say no to those early points of temptation. Help our prayer life to keep us mindful that today temptation could come. So today, help me to resist the temptation that may come today. So we want to be careful of pride. We, we need to lean into the grace of God. We need to not give space in our lives for the world, the flesh and the devil. We do need to give space in our lives to the Holy Spirit, our comforter. And it's 12 o'clock and it's time for me to stop. So let me just say as I come into lunch, thank you for those groans from the front row. I'm loving that. Um, temptation for Jesus was primarily to avoid suffering by taking an easier road. That was a temptation in the wilderness. That was a temptation that reoccurred throughout his life when he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. It was because of that temptation. It was that temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, take this cup away from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So temptations can recur through our lifetime. It doesn't get easier to resist temptation as you get older. Temptation is still around for people over 60. Am I right? Give me an amen. It doesn't get easier. But if we resist temptation and if we overcome trials, we become stronger. A trial can make you bitter or it can make you better. A temptation can make you weak, but a temptation to overcome can make you strong. I'm going to finish by praying. Father God, as we uh, think about temptation and the challenge that this prayer gives for us, we want to pray, Lord, that you'd help us to learn to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. I want to pray, Lord God, you'd help us to be soft-hearted towards you and that we would learn what it means to resist evil temptation 
and to not give the enemy a foothold in our lives. I want to pray, Lord, that today, if people are struggling with seasons of pressure or temptation, that you would be giving them grace. First of all, speak of your mercy and your love. And Lord, will you empower us by your Holy Spirit to resist evil. In Jesus' name. Amen.